everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for February 2nd, 2022. Uh, and Jay and I were just talking. It's sort of a big week. A lot of books this week. It's a little bit different. Like, uh, if you're looking for the DC books, just a quick reminder, those are on the DC Spotlight that goes out every Tuesday. There are spoilers. We talk about them in depth with spoilers. The new Comics Wednesday, Jay and I are going to talk about what we liked. We'll talk about the art. We'll vaguely talk about the story, but we'll try to avoid spoilers as best we can. Now, all that being said, this was a very light week for DC compared to what we've had in the last couple of weeks. Like, it's been rare that we've had less than like 16 books for a while. And last week, I think we had 18 books. This week is half that, nine. It felt very, very short. That being said, we still went almost two hours. Rocky from Comic Boom and I talking about the DC books. But anyway, yeah, big, uh, big week as, as usual at the beginning of the month. So Jay's got seven titles. I've got seven titles. That's 14. So we'll see if we can keep it around an hour like we try to usually do. But we'll, uh, we'll dive right in. Uh, and I guess we'll start with, well, let me see. What are we going to, yeah, but actually, no, we'll, we won't start with your book of the week yet because we <laughs> do have one that's going to come before that. Uh, and I'm curious what you thought of this one. And we should have talked about it before we started recording. Cause again, we can't go spoiler, uh, but it's alien. I can't believe we're up to issue nine already of this book. Uh, it's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Salvador LaRocca on art, Guru EFX on colors, and Clayton Cowell on letters. Now, we know that this uh, this this group um, of, I don't know, religious people, I guess you, you'd call them spinners, uh, they've gone and they've settled this uh, this planet. And, and what we learned is that uh, the, the, the people that sent them out there and supplied them didn't even think they were going to succeed. And so they just sent them out there to die, basically, in, in the hopes if they did succeed, then, hey, uh, we'll have. So the deal was that if they do succeed in terraforming the planet, they're gifted the planet. And then, of course, it turns out the corporation's like, no, they, they succeeded. We want that planet. We want those resources. Let's find a way to get rid of them. Uh, and so this resupply ship that was heading out there is actually full of xenomorphs. So that's where uh, that's where we're at when the story pick, picks up. And the colonists are fighting for their survival. Uh, and yeah, it was action packed. What did you think, Jay? Oh, I liked it. It's uh, it's always the the climax, I guess. We're getting to it. Um, but we should have talked about this before we started the you know, the recording. But yeah, the leader uh, Jane, um, you know, gets um, she's got a traitor in the mess. I don't want to give away that part, but they, she gets kind of uh, betrayed. Um, people start doing their religious thing. I don't know. I guess it kind of goes with the faith thing, but you know, it, you know how it just, yeah, it just doesn't work out. Let's put it that way. But there's so much going on. Uh, uh, they're trying to survive. Uh, they're pretty much playing a cat and mouse game right now. They're just trying to get away from these uh, xenomorphs. We don't know how many there is. There are, and we don't even know if they're in the different stations because on the planet they're separating different stations. So they're not too sure if they're dealing with the same mess that they're dealing with. So I guess it's going to come to another, I don't know how they're going to play it out, but I'm curious to see if they can make it to the other stations and see, you know, what they have. Cause they don't have all the weapons, but these other people might, we don't know. Yeah. It, you know, is it just this one station that got attacked? Is it the whole planet? And the other thing is we, the, uh, the traitor that was sort of revealed at the end of the last issue that was attacking Jane, we, we thought one thing uh, we thought that that person wasn't, maybe infected with a new type of alien 
turns out that doesn't appear to be the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it turns out it's something else, but I think that something else is in a way even more interesting. So I didn't really know I didn't really know what to think. Because when you think about the original story, like the original alien movie, that makes sense. But then in the newer alien movies with Bishop, you know, Bishop ends up being a good guy. And then in this one, you know, it, it, is it a bishop? Is it something else? Is it, you know, like we we find out, but we don't find out. You know what I mean? So was it all just in the programming, like I said, with this corporation that basically is betraying its its own colonists? So it's a, it's an interesting interesting way to, to think about it. And it's definitely adding to the lore of the series, um, which has been something that Philip Kennedy Johnson's been really, really good. He's really great at world building. Uh, so him playing in a world that's already built, he doesn't have to spend real estate or time in world building, but he can, you know, the foundation's there. He can just erect more buildings. He can just create more ideas that live in the foundation of the alien universe. So it's fantastic. Uh, anyway, my first book is an image book from Shadowline Productions. It's a thing called Truth. We're up to issue. Whoops. All right. We're up to issue number four. Uh, it's by Yolanda Zanfardino. The art is by Elisa Romboli. And uh, I guess Elisa Romboli does the art and the colors and the letters. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yolanda does the letters. Uh, and Elisa does the art and the covers. Let's see. Look at it. It's broken down for me. Uh, this has been a really fun book. Uh, I've talked about how sort of emotional it's been. It's a story of the scientist Mags who sort of gets the shaft, speaking of corporations that are screwing people over. She makes a breakthrough in her research. Her corporation steals it, fires her, um, and she kind of goes on a bender. And <laughs> she's sleeping it off in her car when her car gets stolen by this um, this really free spirit who is and the book takes place in Europe and this free spirit is out to she's dealing with the trauma of losing her brother. And so her brother had written this diary about all these things that he'd wanted to do in Europe, uh, just like crazy, crazy stuff. And so she goes to steal this car and her, her idea is to go and try to do all these things. So you have one person that's completely like straight laced and the other person that's like completely wild and irresponsible or whatever. And so it's definitely, sort of a, a case of opposites attract. Um, but it's not, they, they started off as strangers. It feels like they're becoming friends. feels like maybe they could become more than friends. There's not a lot of romantic feelings blossoming yet, but they certainly are growing closer. And there's been a few moments where you think maybe something could happen. Um, but for the first time in a long time, like the way the first issue played out, I talked about this, I thought, well, maybe this is going to be a story of how Mag's gets revenge on her uh, on her corporation for screwing her over basically but then it went in a completely different direction but for the first time now we get some hints of what's going on back in mag's old life with her corporation with her ex-boyfriend and i wonder if ultimately that might not end up being where we get to in the end um but i like the fact that we're starting off by exploring these these two personalities and I've talked a lot about the title. The title is called A Thing Called Truth and how in a lot of ways, both of these women are hiding from their true selves. They don't really know who they are in a way um, because they've both lived a life where 
it hasn't been God, what's the right word? I don't want to say diverse, but that they, they've been they've sort of pigeonholed themselves. They've only lived their life from one perspective. Like Mags has been all about work and responsibility. And the other girl, I can't remember her name right now, but the other girl has only lived her life with irresponsibility. There's not there's not a lot of variety in their lives. And so now they're by meeting each other, they're kind of seeing how the other half lives. And I think they might find their their true selves by you know, through the relationship and, and through the, the perspective that the other person has. So that's why I say uh, a lot of times, I think that's where the title comes from, a thing called truth. So, um, but it could be that the truth is actually is about Mags and how she got screwed over by her company. I mean, I don't know, I guess we'll see, but it's, it's a fantastic title, definitely more of slice of life kind of book, but I do highly recommend it. Uh, okay, now we're going to go to Jay's book of the week. Uh, it's it's a big one this week. Uh, we were talking before. I think it's already selling online for like $15 because nowadays, apparently, you can't even debut a new character without people speculating on. Like, the, remember, Jay, there just used to be new characters introduced in books and people didn't really care. I mean, sometimes you did. Or later on, if they became a big person, a, you know, a big character or had a TV show, then at that point it would blow up. Now they just, now anything, any book that has a new character automatically blows up and is selling for like $15 online yeah, for a 499 book. It's I, hate, I, hate, I hate that because the prospectors, not the collector collectors. Just yeah. give, you're just a collector of the main Spider-Man. You already got the book. You already got it on the pull list. So you're not going to pay that money. They're not going to screw you like that, but it's just these, uh, you know, yeah, but it's just it, trying it, to make a quick, it's just trying to make a quick buck and put it on lines. Yeah. Like why, why are you ruining it for everybody? Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause the thing, not everybody has a pull list and there are people that just pick it up off the rack every yeah. week and they're not going to be able to and no because yeah because if you want so, to shop you're going to have to sell it for what people are selling for yeah it's, it's, it's anyway it's eh. amazing spider-man it's number 88 and there's a new character called the goblin queen that makes her debut uh now <laughs> it says zeb wells is writing this now last issue last week when i reviewed 87 and i gave credit to zeb wells online and Zeb Wells said, no, Jed McKay wrote it. <laughs> so I don't actually know if this is Zeb Wells or if it's Jed McKay. This is still that same storyline. I don't know. One of those guys wrote it, <laughs> but who knows? Um, anyway, Michael Dowling is the artist. Brian Villains on colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. And yeah, there's a new character. And it's not a spoiler because it's right there on the cover. And as we said, everybody's uh, speculating, but I did talk last time about how I, I hinted around because I didn't want to spoil it, but you know, now that it's a week old, I'm going to mention it and, uh, and Jay's going to talk about it as well, most likely, because it's starting to already see consequences. We know that Ben Riley just got the hard drive that had a bunch of incriminating evidence about Beyond from Dr. Octopus. And when he goes and confronts Maxine Danger about it, she goes, oh, we're going to go wipe your memories so you'll stop freaking out about this. And apparently they've done it before. But this time when they go to wipe Ben Riley's memories, not only do they wipe the memories of the hard drive and what was on it, they wipe out some of the implanted memories from way back when, from when, when Miles Warren first created Ben Riley as a clone. They wipe out some memories of Peter Parker's childhood of what of formative things that make Peter Parker who he is. Now we can argue all day about, well, just because you erase memories, is not going to change somebody's morality or sense of responsibility or personality. And that may or may not be true, but 
that's certainly not the path that they're taking in this story. And so, you know, like, let's say that, let's say that you erase the memory. And I'm not saying this is a memory that was erased. We don't know exactly which memories are removed, but what if you erase the memory of, of uncle Ben's death and of uh, Peter letting that burglar run past him? Would you still feel guilt? Would you still be Spider-Man? Would you still think about, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So this is a huge, this is a huge thing. This is a huge thing that some of his formative memories that were technically Peter Parker memories are gone. Um, and we don't see the consequence of that till the very end of this issue. Mostly what we get is a battle between, uh, what did I say her name? I wanted to say Goblin Queen, but it's not Goblin Queen. Queen no, Goblin. Queen, Queen Goblin, so yeah. There already is a Goblin Queen. Now there's a Queen Goblin. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. It's like, uh, it's like I said, I think your past growing up, like if you were uh, loved by your uncle or your aunt all the time and you take that away, where, where does your morality uh, meter go? Is it stay high like it is or is it just like, meh, I don't care, you know, just, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I think that's what you said at the end of this issue. We got to see that. But uh, I like this issue a lot because, you know, Maxine Danger pretty much puts it out there, you know, what she's really doing. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. But we're doing this, too. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, we knew they were it's a corporation. You know, they're always evil. You know, ha, 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 ha. So we already know that was going to happen. But the big thing is, you know, we got the new character, but there's clues in there that maybe they know each other. We don't know. So I'm not, yeah, so that's kind of neat, but the ending is like the key thing. So it's, I don't know. It, it's good. It's got me, it's got me wanting more. So this storyline is pretty good. I like it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that other part about what beyond corporations actually doing, because like, we just thought that they were sort of stealing from Octavian. Uh, yeah yeah from from auto octavius and then when you find out some of the other stuff you're doing yeah it's like holy crap like real bad stuff like yeah yeah so well yeah we'll have to see how that uh we'll have to see how that plays out uh okay here's another book that has a really big ending uh even to the point where donny cates went on he's not on twitter social media anymore but he he really through his newsletter, he released a little video saying, if you don't want this to be spoiled, pick it up on Wednesday early and read it quickly uh, before it gets spoiled. So it's issue number 11 of crossover from Donnie Cates. Jeff Shaw does the art. D. Cunniff on colors. John J. Hill letters and design. Now, we did see at the end of issue 10, a new character introduced to the book. And it was Donnie Cates himself. Now, this has been, you know, with the whole idea of crossover, it's, this book is so meta. It's a crossover between our, supposedly our world and the world of comics. And we've seen Brian Michael Bendis show up. We've seen Chip Zdarsky, Scott Snyder. Uh, we've seen uh, comic characters we know, like Mad Men and the Detectives from Powers. And yeah, last issue, we saw Donnie Cates show up. So Donnie is quite active in this in this particular issue. Um and we get some context from, you know, sort of what's going on. Uh, and it's in a way it's really, I don't want to say egotistical from Donnie, but it, it, I mean, it, it's a very personal story for him in a lot of ways, uh, but he's made himself a very important character. And I, I, I don't really see it as this huge ego thing so much as just him writing what he knows in a lot of ways, uh, but, but it still feels weird. Um, 
so I say all that to say this, just like last issue where it was like a holy crap moment when we saw Donnie on the last page. In this book, we get somebody else who shows up on the last page. And I'm sure this is what Donnie was talking about, where you're going to say, holy crap, like, look who shows up on the last page. So uh, did you did you happen to read this, Jay? You're on mute. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, it's good. I like it. The yeah, last I day mean, is like, like okay. Gonna, yeah, people <laughs> are going to flip out when they see who shows up on the last page. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't really talk much about the story because, yeah, basically Donnie shows up and then Donnie gets interrogated in this issue and he sort of explains what's going on to some extent. We get some answers. We still don't know who's out there killing comic book creators and we don't know why. So that part is still up in the air and what L has to do with it is still up in the air, but we're getting closer to the truth and the, and the things that Donnie says add a lot more context to, to the story. So, I mean, this is just a fun book. Uh, I do, I recommend picking up crossover. If you, you know, if you love comics and you love getting really meta, I mean, I don't think there's been anything this meta since probably Grant Morrison's animal man. So it's uh, it's definitely a book. I'll, I'll agree with Donnie. You, you're going to want to pick it up and read it sooner than later uh, if you don't want that last page spoiled for you. So, uh, all right. Up next, Daredevil Woman Without Fear, number two from writer Chip Zdarsky. Art is by Rafael Della Torre. Colors by Federico Blee. Letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, this had a, here's another book that had a big last page reveal. Um, Electra was stranded out in the woods trying to get back to New York City and, and Craven the Hunter shows up to uh, attack her. And that's where this issue picks up. So what did you think, Jay? Well, I'll be honest with you, um, with the new, you know, Electra, you know, she has this one. She has it with uh, black and red and white. She's got a lot of titles out there, you know, and I was like, OK, I, I'll pick it up, and see what it's about. But I'm kind of hooked after the first issue. It's really good. Um we know that, you know, Fist is still pulling the strings, you know, see what's going on. But you got the other character, no spoiler, it's Aka, you know, so she's doing that too. But it's so funny how uh, in the story, Kramer, you know, tries to draw her to, you know, to fight, fight, fight. But, you know, she's like, nah, you know, she's just trying to get away. And then, he, you know, he knows what strings to pull to get her back into the fight. The ending, like you said, is, is amazing because you're thinking, okay, you know, it's you're not supposed to have any superheroes out there, you know, but then, you know, uh, Fist has got this guy working from Craven, but the, that last little panel, it's like, ah, that's how, that's how it's going to work. Okay. You know, it's neat. I like it. I'm, I'm enjoying the story a, a ton. Yeah. I didn't think, I mean, part of the reason I'm reading this, I'm not the biggest Electra fan, but part of the reason I'm reading this is because it, it does tie in pretty heavily with the, um, with the, the the devil's reign no devil's reign story, yeah story so you know that that's a big part of the reason why i'm i'm checking it out now that being said i sort of feel like it, it didn't tie in as much i mean it, it's the tie-in is sort of incidental in a way so uh yeah we found out the connection between kingpin and craven in this one but other than that i didn't feel like a whole heck of a lot happened um but I thought the art was solid and um, yeah, that that's about it. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't, it, it was a really fast read. It felt like a little bit like set up. There is, there's only uh, one more issue because to be concluded. Right. So 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe it's great for Electra fans, but well, I've always been. A, yeah, I've always been an Electra fan, so I was like, yeah, I kind of. I was kind of looking forward. It's like, yeah, I, mean, I wasn't sure about this, but it's, it's for me. It was. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it was a really fast read. So, anyway, uh, up next for me is Echo Lands number six, Hope's Crucible from J. H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. They're the co-creators and co-writers, and uh, again, this book is fantastic. It's it's landscape as a port opposed to portrait, so you like turn the book ninety degrees, and that's how you read it. And it gives a really unique feel, and it lets um, <coughs> J. H. Williams really go crazy with his art. Um, so we we found out last issue that the kind of the, this D and D like band of of thieves who are have been fr- they've been friends, they've been allies. They've been sort of a loose confederation. And then because the main girl steals something from um, a powerful wizard who, who rules the kind of the new version of San Francisco in the future and wants to rule all the world, um, she steals this gem from him and it sort of starts a series of events where he's coming after them. And they're not close enough that they would risk their lives for each other necessarily, you know, the whole idea of no honor among thieves. But this wizard just lumps them all together because they all uh, usually inhabit the same kind of places. So they have to go on the run together. And, and again, it's definitely this feel of like this D and D band and um, they have to head. And again, this is a world it's sort of post post apocalyptic in a way where the world has recovered from some great apocalypse and rebuilt itself in strange ways. And there's different sort of zones and whatnot. And so they're headed to horror Hill uh, which is sort of a black and white zone. It's really fascinating where like all the old classic universal monsters live until last issue. That's where, what we found out that they, they needed to do. And so this issue is about how they get there and what they find when they get there. Um, but one of the things I love about this series, and I've talked about it extensively is how much J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman are putting in all the things they love. Like there's characters that are clearly inspired by Kirby's uh, fourth world and characters inspired by classic Marvel. There's uh, this island that we visited at one point that was inhabited by like Shogun warriors, like the old school toys from the late 70s, early 80s. Um, like I said, D, a lot of D&D vibes. So it, it, this book just has so, so many, like for a certain generation, just so many bits of nostalgia in there, but it's crafted around this really interesting story. And the art is just fantastic the art is so good like if you only bought this book and didn't read the story at all and just bought it to look at the art i would have no like i wouldn't have no problem believing that that was the case like this it's just it's like the most gorgeous book on the stands these days so uh i i can't recommend this one highly enough echo lands it's uh it's awesome plus they put out echo lands uncut which is a, kind of a director's cut of each issue where they give more details and back matter and whatnot so um okay up next from Jay is Noctera. Uh, this is the return of Noctera with issue number seven, starting the second arc. Stories by Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel. Tony Daniel handles the pencils. We have Sandu Floria and Tony Daniel on inks. Marcelo Maiala does the colors and Andrew Design does the letters. Uh, what were your thoughts here, Jay? 
Oh man, I was gonna say real quick that book you talk about. It's the art is beautiful. So if you're oh, yeah. just gonna pick a book just for the cover, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> but Nightera is one of my other favorite books from Image. And uh, if you didn't pick up the first six, you can pick up this. Like I said, it's new story arcs, so you can just start here and be just fine. Um, what's very different about it is usually the last issues you always have like a backstory, and it's usually Val, you know, the main character. But we're not doing that no more. It seems like I guess now. Uh, other character piper she's narrating the story it was val narrating but now i guess now we're gonna go with piper her little psychic she's narrating the story which is kind of different and kind of neat there's a lot going on uh like we learned from the last issue six they're you know trying to find a, a certain person so they can find the the, uh, the one light source to bring back the light to the world but at the same time, while they're trying to do this, they also have their nemesis, you know, Blacktop Bill. But we find out that there's more than one of his type of people out there, which is kind of interesting. But the very ending is like the best part because in order to get to what they're trying to find, the new light source, they got to go to Blacktop Bill. So it's like, OK, so and we already know from the mini that one one shot that he's like this, like a scumbag like a cold-blooded you know murderer and all this stuff so i think it's gonna be good uh the artwork in this is phenomenal as well and i just love the storytelling yeah there's a lot to unpack in the second arc i didn't know what to expect because the first arc it sort of felt like a complete story in a lot of ways i mean obviously we didn't get the the light didn't come back on you know the sun wasn't restored or or anything like that but we saw that um the main character Val, her brother M Emery, he was cured. We find out that you know he's the only, and apparently the only person ever cured from becoming a you know on the way to becoming a shade. I don't think he ever went full shade, but the only person that was ever infected by the the big PM that that recovered. And so yeah, that that's sort of the focus of this second arc here, which to me expands the scope of the story and it goes from feeling sort of in- intimate with. Val having a a very personal stake in the motivations for the first arc. This one being a little more broad, um, but still really, really great. Yeah. And Blacktop Bill, as far as, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, he's an interesting character in that his inside matches his outside in terms of his soul's completely black, (laughs) completely black. (laughs) Yeah. He is evil uh, incarnate and no surprise that the, the, Sundog Convoy, as they dubbed themselves, is on a collision course with with Blacktop Bill. So yeah, really, really great. Uh, as far as the art goes, for me, the art in this issue, it's only the, the, the little nitpick that I have. Um, and that's not to say that the art isn't fantastic, but I went back because I, I was like, this art looks a little bit different than the first uh, than the first six issues. And I looked at the credits and I was trying to figure it out. And then I realized it's a different color artist. Now, I'm a big fan of Marcelo Maiello. I've given him my colors of the year before. Um, but the, the color choices in here, I, I just don't care for them as much as what Tomeo More was doing in the first arc. Um, the colors were just a little brighter, which, you know, that's kind of weird to say in a, in a world where, uh, you know, darkness rules. Um, but that was what made Tomeo More's color so great in the first book because the if it, when it was bright and when it was light, you know, light sources, lights weaponized, it was really bright. And even the dark colors had a real vibrancy to them. This has a little more of a washed out look over everything. And so it just didn't land 
for me as as well. So hopefully it's just a matter of Marcelo kind of getting his his bearings and his uh, and his sort of uh, feet under him with what needs to be done with this book. Uh, because I, again, I know it's a little nitpick, but it's, it was something that I noticed. So, uh, but yeah, really, really great story. I mean, I, I love what they're doing. And and Jay's right when he says, if you miss the first, I mean, if you miss the first arc, go buy the trade, first of all. Um, but you can pick this up and read it because Snyder does a great job of giving us an introduction and a rundown of all the characters that, um, that are in the Sundog convoy, Val and Am and Piper and everybody else. And so that, that does allow a new reader to, to jump on. So I did appreciate that. Uh, okay. We have the end of Fantastic Four Life Story, the tens, basically the 2010s. So if you're not familiar with the idea of life story from Marvel, it's basically the story of heroes in real time. So the first time we did this or Marvel did this was Spider-Man. And so then you had Spider-Man in the sixties and seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, and then 2010s. And Peter Parker would, you know, you would have a story told in that decade and he would be 10 years older each time. So that's the same thing that we have here. Now it's been a brutal, well, let me give the credits. First of all, uh, Mark Russell's the writer art by Sean Azoski with Z Carlos and Angel Unzetta colors are by Nolan Woodard and letters are by Joe Caramagna. Now this has been a brutal series. Mark Russell hasn't pulled any punches but that's sort of the point of doing these, you know, life story because it's a little more realistic. They're aging in real time. You, you know, it's a limited series. You know, it's out of continuity and it does allow you to land stories and have impactful uh, things happen. In the case of this in, in issue number three of the series, Johnny Storm like intercepts a nuclear missile that's going to hit New York and, and sacrifices himself. That's a very poignant moment. The last issue, issue five. In order to stop Galactus from consuming the world, um, which is, you know, a very classic Fantastic Four story, Reed Richards tricks uh, Galactus and then with the help of his son Franklin ultimately defeats Galactus, but it leaves Reed Richards in a, a vegetative state. He's a vegetable. So that's where this issue starts off, you know, 10 years down the line with uh, a classic Fantastic Four villain sort of taking advantage of what the world is like after the defeat of Galactus. So Galactus announced that he was coming and the whole world had like three years to prepare for the end of the world, basically, and knowing there was nothing they could do to stop it or believing there was nothing they could do to stop it. So as you can imagine, a lot of social things, um, rule, rule of law and uh, things like that, broke down like and there were you know a lot of shortages on things because you know who's going to go work in a factory we only got three years to live you know like like what's the point of that so the earth uh, and the nations and the people the culture society of earth is not in really good shape and then all of a sudden they get this reprieve thanks to the heroic actions of reed richards so it leaves this situation where there's a classic fantastic for a villain who's able to take advantage of that and start start taking over the world and being that 60 years have gone by since, you know, the debut of the Fantastic Four and a lot of other vil uh, heroes, Marvel heroes, such as uh, Captain America, there's not really anybody to stand up to this villain in a lot of ways. And so ultimately you have to make the decision. Are you, even though you're 
in your 70s, 80s, you have superpowers. Are you going to take the chance to go and stand up and try to do what's right uh, and try to save the world? Or are you just going to let the world, you know, leave it to its own devices, basically? So I'm not going to tell you what each of these heroes decide. Probably figure it out for yourself, knowing who these heroes are. Um, but it does make for uh, a, a very satisfying feeling uh, a very satisfying ending to the story. And the other thing that this book has done throughout, because I really had a hard time with the first issue. I don't know if you guys remember when I covered it, because the, uh, Mark Russell changed so many things around, like Ben Grimm and Reed Richards didn't even know each other. You know, like in classic Marvel history, they they went to college together. They were friends. And this one, they don't even know each other until that they go on that flight. And they, and they get their powers from the cosmic rays and whatnot. So there, there were things that that he was doing in that first issue where I was like, this is not the Fantastic Four. And it, it didn't feel like the Fantastic Four didn't land for me at all. But like I always said, you know, you got to give a series two issues. And I went into the second one with the perspective, let me read this as a what if tale. And for some reason, that idea popped in my head. And that's when everything clicked for me. And one of the things that I'll say that even in that first issue, having gone back and reread it a couple times now and throughout the, throughout the entire series and definitely culminating in this finale, the thing that permeates it is a feeling of family and you don't always get along with your family and things don't always go great in your family. You know, life has tragedy and loss and people get sick and, you know, things happen. Somebody gets turned into a vegetable, has an accident, you know, but you still love them. You still take care of them. That feeling of family, which is to me integral, you cannot have a Fantastic Four story, series, whatever, without that underlying current of family. And that exists in this book wholeheartedly. Um, the artwork has been fantastic throughout. Um, I don't know that I have been that familiar with Sh uh, Shauna Zaxi's. And I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It's I-Z-A-A-K-S-E. So I think it's uh, Sean is Axie, I think is how you say it. But anyway, I was I don't know that I've ever, I've seen his name before, but I don't know that I've ever paid as much attention to his art as I did with this project because that the art has been fantastic throughout. So um, I definitely recommend the series, uh, which I, after that first issue, I didn't think I would be doing, but yeah, it's, it's a strong finish for sure. Uh, okay. Up next for Jay, we have Sabretooth number one. This is from writer Victor Lavalle. Leonard Kirk is the artist. Rain Barreto does the colors. And Corey Petit is on letters. What do you think? Well, I always did like uh, Sabretooth because he was just cold-blooded. You know, I mean, there's nothing else but, you know, he just likes, he's just a killer. That's all he is. It was interesting because, you know, they have, um, you know, he gets in prison. I mean, that's pretty much the whole concept of the story is in prison, but the, uh, the prison itself is, I guess you got to face your own, uh, it's, you could, it's, it gives you your joys. I guess everything you want, you can do in this, in this prison with, uh, with the X-Men. But, uh, I think if we get what we want sometimes, that's what I got is like, you're not satisfied, you know? So is it, it's interesting. Um, but I don't know where they're going to go with it, but I, I guess it's different. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how to, how to, how to word it, but, I like it, but I don't like it because it's just, 
I don't think it's right you should do that to a person. You know, they, they, they put them in this kind of prison, you know, where it, where it just never stops. You know, whatever you want, you get. But if you get what you want, it just kind of like it burns you out, I guess. You know what I mean? But the ending was kind of nice because then, you know, you think he's going to be like, I guess, the only guy down there. But uh, apparently not in this prison. Yeah, well, I mean, I, when I saw there was a Sabretooth book, I was like, what? I thought Sabretooth was like off the table, right? Like we saw, I, I think it was in Powers of Ten. Right. That they they exiled him, which basically, I mean, they said, okay, we're not going to have prisons, but you but you did. You you imprisoned him in the core of Krakoa, like put him down in the center of the earth. No idea where he is or is he awake? Is he aware or whatever? So yeah, we find out the answers to a lot of those questions. And I sort of thought, based on the direction Lavalier was taking this, that he, we might be getting an anti-hero Sabretooth. You know, like, yeah, he's still going to have his tendencies to be bloodthirsty at times, whatever. But, you know, if, if you fulfill all your desires and Sabretooth's desire has always been, hey, I want revenge on any perceived slight or wrong or anybody who's messed with me ever. You know, if, if he's down there and it's like almost like a, like a psychological prison in, in, you know, like he's in suspended animation or I think it was in um, what's that Tom Cruise movie minority report where they would put the prisoners in, in like the stasis and they would, they'd be in like this basically dream world. And that's how they kept them docile and whatever. And they'd be yeah, living their best life or whatever. Things would unfold the way they wanted. So if you're doing that to Sabretooth and he, like at what point, like at some point you get bored, I would think of living, you know, like you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish. So like is Sabretooth going to realize that like killing everybody and getting all the revenges you want is ultimately unsatisfying. Like what, what next? Okay. It's like, if you've accomplished every goal you've set out to do, then what? So again, I, I don't know, but we'll have to see how it plays out next issue, but it's a fascinating start because I'm like you. I've never, I feel Sabretooth is such a two dimensional character. He's not really, yeah, he, he doesn't have any depth. That's the thing yeah. about the character. So I was kind of like, I said, I went in not knowing what to expect, and you worded it better than I did, but it was just like, it's a personal he hell, but it's like a joyous hell. But like I said, it's like, what, at a point, don't you get kind of tired of it? Don't you yeah. get like, what, what's next? What else? But I guess that's why they threw him that thing at the end with some, some other people i don't know i was just like all right yeah, no but clue. he's i don't think he's ever going to change to be honest but you no, know no no clue where it's going absolutely none uh, okay my next book is reckoning war alpha number one written by dan slot we have art by carlos pacheco rafael fonterez and carlos magno colors by guru efx uh, and letters by joe caramania this book has been in development for like 20 years Dan Slott's been wanting to tell this story, putting all kinds of hints in his She-Hulk run back in the day, mentioned it in the Spider-Man run, and now finally he's on Fantastic Four, and we're finally getting it. Now, he wanted it originally to be the, this big line-wide crossover. I don't think it's going to be that. It's going to happen in these one-shots. It's probably going to uh, – we're probably going to see maybe a little bit in the She-Hulk book. We're definitely going to see it in this Fantastic Four. I don't think that the details of the Reckoning War have really – like people really understand it, and it's, such been, it's been such a big mystery at – Definitely don't want to spoil it, but what I will say is it involves the, the Watchers, it involves Nick Fury, the Unseen, it involves some of the earliest history in the Marvel Universe, and it's an, it's an interesting start. A lot of action, and 
uh, some of the things that happen, you sort of have to take with a grain of salt and think, okay, it's, it's comics. Um, but basically this, this one shot is sort of like the beginning of uh, like your favorite disaster movies where, you know, you'll have like, uh, I don't know, like Independence Day where the White House blows up, right? Or um, like a volcano erupts or, a, you know, a bridge collapses or, or some, something, you know, I guess Independence Day, you could say that the Empire State Building blows up. Whatever. There's just a, this big event where you realize, hey, this terrible thing's happening. It's massive because look, this giant thing blew up. Um, nothing's ever going to be the same again. How are the heroes going to find a way to save the day? So uh, other than that, I can't really say much. It, it involves uh, a lot of really important characters. Uh, Silver Surfer shows up here. Um, we've got uh, all kinds of alien races that uh, are, are involved. At one point, Reed Richards appears to level up in power. How that's going to play out, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I will say it's it's interesting that um, that Johnny Storm is leveled up with his uh, his abilities right now. Like he no longer needs air; he can't turn his powers off. He's powered by cosmic uh, the power cosmic, like cosmic rays now, much like uh, Silver Surfer. So even when he's out in space and there's no air, he's still. <laughs> He's still on fire. I wonder, and, and it's been that way for a while. Like uh, Slot did that a year ago. Like, I, and I'm now I'm wondering, did Slot do that in order to have this story where Johnny sort of needs to be more powerful? So, uh, yeah, and and like I said, with Fantastic uh, Mister Fantastic leveling up, it's going to be interesting. The Fantastic Four's power level overall has definitely increased in this uh, in this issue. I mean, definitely would say Mister Fantastic was the weakest. After that, it was probably Human Torch was the next weakest character. He had so many um, limitations, you know. He could be, have his flame put out by water. He needed air. Now he doesn't need that. So uh, I'm real curious to see where this goes. I thought it was a great start, a good, solid first issue, especially for an event. Everything is explained. You know, you don't need to have read any of that previous stuff that like hints or whatever that um, that slot dropped, like I mentioned. So uh, I'm excited to see how this all plays out. And the art's fantastic. Can't really tell which of those artists does which pages. Art seems very consistent to me. I, I, I couldn't tell, even flipping back through it. The style, looks, it, looks, it looks seamless. So great job from the whole, uh, whole creative team on that one. Uh, okay, let's see. Up next, Jay has Scumbag. Number 12, this is from writer Rick Remender. Art is by Roland Boshi. Colors by Marino Denisio. And letters are by Russ Wooten. <laughs> Scumbag. <laughs> well, it's different because I guess uh, it's a different artist than last time from looking at it right. So it's a little bit yeah, different. Well, so that's the thing about this book. Like it was originally supposed to be Remender. And Louis LaRosa, and they were co-owners of the property. And LaRosa had health problems and had to jump off after a single issue. And Remender has been like bringing on a different artist for every issue because nobody, you know, they had no time to get ahead now. Uh, and I feel really bad for Remender. Um, but that's been one of the things I haven't liked about the book is it doesn't have a consistency of visual style. Right. 
but it's, it's interesting because uh, the Scorpionus, what they, what they call the Scorpionius or Scorpionus, I'm probably saying it totally wrong, but the, the, the main villains of the group have made the world to like the 50s from the, from the last issue. So now we got uh, Ernie trying to survive in the 50s. And it's so funny because the way the world was in the 50s, they pretty much put it there, you know, like smoking was a good thing at the time, you know, everybody did that. Um, there's a lot of cameos from different TV shows in there, which is interesting because the whole from the very start of the uh, book to pretty much the end, you got uh, Mary, uh, the other agent, trying to hunt him down so she can get the formula extracted from him so she can kind of change the world back from the 50s. The, uh, the best part, I think, was Annie because it's a character that we haven't seen for a while and you'd be the last one you think that would help Ernie out for some reason. But, you know, this per- person shows up to help Ernie. But it was fun. I think the only thing that made it fun about this issue was just the uh, the way it was in the fifties, and like the I said, you can catch all the characters from TV shows and comics that they throw in there. But it wasn't as uh, I guess grimy as the uh, issues in the past. I guess you can say it was cleaner. That's, that's what I want to say. It's a little cleaner. But I'm just curious how they're going to tie this story, how they're going to finish it up, though. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun. There's a lot of little sort of in jokes um, with sort of modern media properties that are set in the fifties that didn't actually take place in the fifties, but sort of lean into the tropes of the fifties. Um, <laughs> and then the other, the other thing that works is that there's something going on with, um, with Ray's uh, powers here, Ernie Ray's powers. So, you know, he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't really have the, oh, I can kind of snap my fingers and get out of it sort of uh you know sort of ability um and i know you 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 weren't a big fan of the art and i thought this art was some of the better art we've seen so far Uh, and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's just it's cleaner the art's a lot cleaner than um than a lot of the other art that we've had on on the uh on the series but that being said this whole issue is one long chase scene so it doesn't really move the narrative forward that much which that that was kind of the biggest disappointment for me in it but i think overall the series is still continues to be fun so yeah like you said it was just like beginning i was just running around i was like okay <laughs> yeah uh all right let me talk about my x book for the week it's x lives of wolverine or maybe it's 10 lives of wolverine number two from writer benjamin percy Joshua Casera is the artist, Frank Martin on colors, Corey Petit on letters. And we saw in the first issue that Wolverine is bouncing around through time, saving Professor X from these attempts on his life by Omega Red. Now, how Omega Red is jumping around, we don't know. Like he, Omega Red was there at the birth of Professor Xavier trying to kill him, like, you know, just moments after he was born. Um, but Wolverine was able to stop him. Now, in, and then it jumped forward to uh, another time when uh, Wolverine was working with Sabretooth and Maverick. And apparently that's the next place where Omega Red's going to show up and try to kill Xavier. So Wolverine is going to try to prevent that assassination. But the question becomes, how exactly is Wolverine jumping around through time? But more importantly, how is Omega Red doing it and why? What exactly is he hoping to accomplish by going back and killing Xavier back in the past? And and will this in any way disrupt any of the lives that Mortimer McTaggart has lived? Because Wolverine is being told, he's being sort of mentored through this by Jean Grey, 
you know, if you think of this as a quantum leap, the the role of Al is being played by Jean Grey. Now she appears in the form of a hologram that only Wolverine can see and hear. Uh, and she's she's telling him, hey, make sure you don't disrupt. Make sure you don't do certain things because uh, you don't want to mess up the timeline. So it always gets sort of sticky and messy when you talk about you know messing with timelines. Um, so I, I'm 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 completely at a loss for for what this is uh, and why it exists. It, it definitely feels suited to Hickman's version of the X Men because it's super convoluted and super complicated. But I don't necessarily mind that. But that is one of the things that struck me as I'm reading, as I started reading this second issue. Like, man, th- this is in no way new reader friendly. Like there's some argument to be made that you can just jump on house of X and powers of X. And you might feel a little lost if you have no context for the the characters, but you can kind of just power through. Um, If you're familiar that like the best place to be is is to be like, okay, I'm, I'm a fan of the characters. Like maybe you watch the X-Men cartoon or you've read X-Men comics in the past, but you're not necessarily, you know, you haven't read them all. You don't know all the events you know, Avengers versus X-Men, House of M, all that kind of stuff. But you know who the characters are. That's sort of the best position to be in in order to to pick up the beginning of Hickman's X-Men run, you know, House of X, Powers of X, and then start reading it forward at that point. Um, because you have context, you know who these characters are. And they might reference some things that you're not familiar with, but through the context of story, you can get the information you need to get. But everything that's happening since House of X and Powers of X is it doesn't necessarily tie into the past in, in a way that, man, if you didn't, ha- if you haven't read extinction agenda, you're going to be lost. If you haven't read, you know, uh, mutant massacre, you're not going to know what's going on. Now you don't need to have read any of those, any of that stuff. Um, but if you know who these characters are, you can hit the ground running on this. But that being said, the, these X-Men books, they are dense reads right now. They are, they are really dense reads no doubt so uh but i'm i am enjoying it i'm curious to see how benjamin percy is going to make it all make sense because i trust that he will and the art by joshua casera is very visceral very beautiful uh sort of muted colors all all the x-men books right now have sort of this almost like a house style uh and it has a lot to do with the way they're colored the colors are not even though they're traditional super super heroic they don't have primary colors on a lot of the books on any of the books, really, they all have sort of this muted color palette. And, it, and what that does is it makes the books feel a little more sophisticated than maybe they would feel otherwise. It brings like a gravitas to the stories, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, they all sort of have a house style right now, despite the different line artists. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. Uh, okay. I think this is Jay's last book. Uh, it's Spider-Woman number 19. It's a Devil's Reign tie-in, Spider-Woman versus Spider-Woman, written by Carlo Pacheco. Pere Perez is the uh, artist, Frank D'Armada on colors, Travis Lanham on letters. So we saw last time as a, as a reveal, and we obviously we didn't spoil it when we talked about it, but if you listen to, our, to my interview with Carlo Pacheco, you know that um, Varanki showed back up, and she's kind of the, the queen of the scrolls who... Uh, was the one that impersonated Jessica during the uh, was it Secret Empire storyline. So 
as you can imagine, or a secret invasion rather. I always call it secret empire for something, secret invasion uh, storyline. So you can imagine that Veronki shows up and causes problems for Jessica. Jessica's more than ready for revenge on this chick. So <laughs> what'd you, what, what did you think of, uh, of Veronki showing up and of this issue, Jay? Well, like uh, the last issue, when we saw the big reveal, I was like, oh my God, here we go. Cause I've been, I've been kind of waiting to see this, you know, get the throw down. All I got to say is the artwork is a phenomenal. Uh, the writing is just spot on. I mean, they just, just know the character so well. It's awesome. The The fight scenes are great. Uh, the, the, <laughs> The bickering, they go back and forth. You know, she kind of the queen always kind of downs like, "Oh, I should pick somebody better than you." Blah blah blah. It's just hilarious how she go. They go back and forth like that. Um, the different faces that you know she tries to put on is amazing. Um, I won't give the the reveal, but the uh, of who just who figures out who's the fake one. But it's pretty neat. It's it just a uh, good tie into you know how who was the the real one. The beatdown was good. Um, when she was with Carol, you know, she was saying, well, you know, that little, that was hilarious. We're just like, well, let's leave her here. No, nah, no, nah. we'll put her, you know, put her in this thing. No, Jessica. <laughs> she really wanted just to, you know, just let her have it, but she doesn't. The ending was kind of creepy, though, because uh, I guess uh, someone's still watching her. And uh, we'll see how it goes from here with uh, it's not over for poor Jessica yet. You know, there's still there's still people gunning for her. But I always did like the character. The book is amazing. Uh, storytelling is great. The artwork is awesome. I can't say enough about it. It's one of my favorite books. I always look forward to reading this book. And I was going to say real quick, uh, like Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap. I like that show, but the very last episode was heartbreaking. And I was so mad. <laughs> I don't know if you remember how it ended, but I was so upset. It's like, you got to be kidding me. After so many years of watching the show, that's how you do it. Yeah. The and fact uh, that he, never, he never got to go home. Yeah, they took away. He had to lose his memory, to do it, but yeah, but yeah, I was like, oh my god, come on! But uh, yeah, it, we know it, they're it was, bringing it. You know they're bringing it back, right? Is it going to be like, like the same characters or? Uh, they haven't. Well, the guy, the actor Dean Stockwell, who played Al, is you know he passed away last year, so he's right. not coming back. I got to imagine that that Scott Bakula is going to at least make a cameo. Um, well, you, but, you, can yeah. make, you can make you can make him Al. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm curious because, yeah, I love that show. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, this is a great book. It's almost came my book of the week, but I just like the other one a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely a solid book. And I'm looking forward to you know, the next uh, beatdown that's coming down for uh, poor Jessica. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot to say about, about the book. Uh, go listen to my interview with Carla because we had a lot of fun breaking this down. Um, and, there, and there's nothing I can really say about this book. Uh, this particular issue without spoiling. Um, I will say I love the scene with, with Jerry, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, and it's fun and there's plenty of jokes and plenty of action. And again, it's this is just another issue that's a perfect example of how Carla and Pere and Frank Diramata and Travis Lamb, a whole creative team does an incredible job of of giving the story and the characters a lot of heart and emotion, but balancing it with humor. Like, the book is just so, so good. So obviously I think everybody should be reading it and you should all go listen to my interview with Carla as well, which was a lot of fun. Uh, okay. I got a couple books left. Uh, first one up is Newburn number three. This is from Chip Zdarsky and Jacob Phillips. And then it has a backup by Nadia Shamas and hopefully I get this right. Zayed Yusuf Oyub. 
and letters by Frank Shetkovic. Um, if you're not familiar with Newburn, basically this guy used to be a cop and retired from the force and got hired by the mob families in New York, like all the organized crime families. And, and he meets a woman in the first issue, who, uh, Emily, who eventually becomes his assistant. And she's sort of our POV character. And we get these text pages where she sort of explains and gives context to the story. And, and she helps us understand more about uh, East and Newburn. So, yeah, he retired from the police force. He's somewhat mysterious. There's all these rumors, and Emily kind of discusses them in this issue a little bit uh, about how formidable he is and how he might have all this dirt on people and he's sort of a powerful guy. But basically, at the end of the day, the way to keep the families from warring against each other is any, any crimes that are sort of interfamily or intrafamily, Newburn gets called in to solve them because quiet crime is the best crime. I mean, these crime families, they want to keep making money. That's at the end of the day what they want to do. And so big crimes and wars and bodies in the street and blood or whatever, that brings media attention, which brings police, which hurts their bottom line. So it's in their best interest to you know keep things keep things uh, under control internally. Now, the reason the police let Newburn do what they need him to do and come in and solve these crimes is because then the police get to take credit for it, for solving these, these crimes. So even though they know Newburn works for these crime families, they're willing to look the other way because it helps them look good. So, um, so far the, the, the crimes that have been solved have been sort of done in ones terms of you know one crime solved in issue one one crime solved in issue two we get one crime solved here in issue three but as newburn is solving these crimes and and he's working with emily we're learning more about emily we're learning more about what newburn does if not necessarily more about who newburn himself is um so i i love this book it's like newburn is fascinating to me still very mysterious there's still a lot of unanswered questions but he's clearly capable. He's clearly very smart. And it's really interesting. The backup, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I feel like the tension of it's ramping up. The problem is that it's only a few pages. It's only like eight pages. So as is the case with a lot of backups that are at that length, it sort of takes a while before the story can find, can find its footing, right? You need two and a half issues of that to equal one regular issue of a comic. And we're barely, you know, barely at that point, barely gotten like 20, 24 pages of the story. So th this is the first time after reading the third installment where I'm like, okay, I kind of see where this is going. It's pretty interesting, but I still don't know. Basically, it would be like me trying to judge a comic after one issue, which is kind of hard to do sometimes. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that one plays out. Now, the other book that I'm going to talk about, well, two, two more. The last one's not really a comic, but... Uh, I also want to mention the 80-page Geiger Giant. A lot of creators in this one, so bear with me here. We've got Jeff Johns and Gary Frank on art with Brad Anderson on colors. The, those are sort of the that's sort of the Geiger team that uh, with Rob Lee on letters that brought us the uh, the original Geiger. Now we're being told a bunch of short, short stories in that world. A lot of them set in the city of Las Vegas, which is sort of the last sanctuary where people live underground. We're living in the casinos that have radiation shielding because, you know, the world is post-apocalyptic hell. So we get a few different creators that are getting a chance to tell a story 
in the world of Geiger, a lot of them have to do with sort of the different worlds that exist inside these casinos. So uh, we get a preview first, though, of Redcoat, which is another mad ghost property, another one of the unnamed, which are uh, a bunch of these heroes that apparently mad ghost, which is uh, Gary Frank and, and Jeff Johns publishing imprint over at Image, that we're going to get a lot of the stories of the unnamed coming up in the next few years. So we have Red Coat, we have the Northerner, we have the Monster, we have Junkyard Joe, American Widow, Final Ghost, the Unknown War, and Geiger, right? And those all could be properties at, at some time. Uh, the only one we know for sure, well, there's two, there's two properties we know for sure are coming uh, in the next year. And we may get more Geiger, who knows, but we know that Red Coat is coming and that's Jeff Johns with art by Brian Hitch and colors by Brad Anderson. And we get a who is Redcoat story in this. And then the other one is uh, Junkyard Joe, which is a, a robot soldier. Um, and we don't know uh, who, I don't think we know who's drawing that one yet. Oh, actually, I'll take that back. Gary Frank is drawing that with, um, with Jeff Johns writing. But I, I don't know that anything has been announced other than just coming 2022 as opposed to red coat, which is coming soon. So junkyard Joe, we just heard summer, uh, 2022. So anyway, uh, this 80 page giant, other than giving you a preview of the, uh, who is red coat, which is this immortal, um, union, not union, uh, immortal red coat, British soldier, uh, I was going to say Union soldier, but that's the Civil Civil War. Now, this is the American Revolutionary War. And uh, yeah, this immortal British soldier named Simon Pure, who's been around for hundreds of years uh, at this point. Um, so th that's his story. And, and that series is coming. And as I said, Jeff Johns is a writer. Brian Hitch does the art. Brian Anderson on colors. And we get sort of a prologue to the the coming series. Now, the rest of them are certainly stories about the casinos, basically, um, giving us context in Vegas for um, for what these different worlds are within the uh, within the casinos. And I'm I know you didn't like very many of them, Jay. I'm I'm curious. I'm going to go through them real quick, and then you can tell me. I think I know which one was probably your favorite, but I'm curious. So, anyway, we have uh, where did he find Barney? And that's actually the story of how. Uh, Geiger found his two-headed dog. So that's by the Geiger team of Jeff Johns on story, Gary Frank on art, Brad Anderson on colors. Tales of the Unknown War, which is just, uh, I think that one's just uh, that one shot um, or not one shot, but the, um, the, uh, the timeline, as I said, that, that I gave out earlier with all the the various um, characters from, from Mad Ghost. Uh, but then we have the Safari. That's a casino story. Peter J. Tomasi on story and Peter uh, Nyberg on art and color. And then the Karloff, that's another casino. That one's written by Sterling Gates. Kelly Jones on art. John Kalis on colors. Nero, which is another casino. That's Leon Hendricks II on story. Staz Johnson on art. Anderson Cabral on color. Goldbeard, yet another casino, pirate-themed, obviously. Uh, Pornsack Pizza Show does that story with Sean Galloway on art and colors. And then the Manhattan, 
which is uh, another casino. Janet Harvey Navala on story, Megan Levins on art, Charlie Kirchhoff on color. And then Saturn 7 by Jay Faber. Uh, he does the story. Joe Prado does the art. And then uh, the Hio Lima on colors. And then we've got What About the Shooting Star? Jeff John story, Paul Pelletier uh, on pencils, Tony Cordes on inks. And that one, I think, I don't think that one was necessarily a story, right? Because it wasn't the Saturn 7, sort of the last book. Yeah, the last story. So uh, anyway, if I had to guess, <laughs> if I again, I'm totally guessing here. Your favorite was the Saturn 7 story. Yeah, it was probably my, my, my second favorite one. Oh, really? Yeah, I like uh, Where Do You Find Barney. I like that because I always liked the dogs. I always wonder where you got the dog. And oh, gotcha. the red coat was actually pretty good. I'm more interested in the red coat. I'm like, okay, I want to know more about the red coat, to be honest. Because I guess, you know, if the way they show uh, George Washington, I was like, okay, so what, what happens from that? You know, because there's, I guess it's a different reality than ours, I'm assuming, in this world. Because they don't have you know, their technology is a little different than what we got. You know what I mean? It's, I'm not going to like spoil it, but it's, I'm just curious about that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that the dog, <laughs> the dog story, I, I would have guessed that. I thought that Saturn seven story was fantastic. Yeah. That was good too. I'm gonna lie. There was a couple of good ones, but there's some just kind of like, eh, like the safari. I'm like, okay, it was all right. Yeah, but Yeah. It was interesting because some of them are, I don't know. They, the art styles were just so different than what you're used to seeing, you know, so different than Gary Frank style, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just, I guess you're just used to one style reading that, that character. I just got kind of used to, it. I got spoiled. Let's put it this way. I got very spoiled with the Geiger series with that artwork. Yeah. I just don't expect to see cartoonish looking art in a book that says geiger on the cover so. exactly <laughs> uh, all right last book i'm going to mention again this is not a comic but very much worth your t uh, time if you're into comics history and and very important so um yesterday as we're releasing this february 1st was the official 30th anniversary of image comics it was established february 1st 1992 so today february 2nd 1992 image is putting out a book that is called uh, Image Timeline. And it's basically uh, 30 years of, of image. Um, and it has a lot of really, really cool stuff in it. So Jim Valentino was the mastermind behind this project. And he, he wrote kind of the, there's not a story, but there's a timeline. And so he wrote the captions for the timeline and he has a little bit of the, uh, you know, a little bit of an essay in the back um, so he's credited as the writer, designer, archivist, and researcher because, you know, he did have to do a lot of research because, again, it's, it's a lot of like, here's the year here. And, you know, he, he goes month by month for each year and says, here's the, again, not every single image event or important thing because you, you can't condense 30 years of, uh, of comic history in, a, in the 60 page book but so, so you know he even says that in the beginning like apologies to things that had to get omitted for space but for the most part he he points out the the important events in the history of the company so 
Um, Kat Salazar is also credited as a writer and researcher. And she, there's a big list in the back of all the awards that any image comic has ever won. And she did a lot of that. And then he thanks Eric Stevenson, Stephen T. Gouge, Gary Colombono, and Drew Gill. Um, so they did a lot of work on it as well. So there's, there's pictures in here of the image founders throughout the years. There's tons of pictures of different like programs from conventions you know, Chicago Comic-Con back in 92 and, and things that I didn't even know. And I was collecting comics back at the time, but like, I didn't know that Chicago Comic-Con was a pretty big show back then. You know, there were really only like three big shows, Chicago Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con. I don't think it was was called Big Apple Comic-Con back then and San Diego and DC Comics and Marvel Comics and Dark Horse. Those three companies boycotted Chicago Comic-Con that year. They pulled out after already having spent money to exhibit there because Chicago Comic-Con invited the image founders as guests. Like I had no idea that happened. And it was like, they had a giant tent where they were doing their signings and the people were lined up. Like they were trying to get into hall H at San Diego Comic-Con. Like I, I did not know that stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of really interesting uh, information like that in this book. And then there's also pictures of toys. There's pictures of covers. There's pictures of statues, all these tchotchkes that, um, that Jim Val- Valentino collected over the years. He even in his essay talks about the fact that he, he kept a lot of this stuff, anything he could get his hands on, especially in the early days, because he knew as one of the founders that what they were doing was something special and they would want to, you know, be able to look back on the history of, of image. So I think it's a very important book. I definitely ordered it. Um, it, it's just a good resource to have and a a good thing to look back, pick it up and flip through it. You know, it's not going to be for everybody. Um, you know, it's not like this comprehensive list and it's not Valentino even goes on to say, you know, he's not trying to, you know, solve any controversies or weigh in on any disputes or any of you know, Liefeld getting kicked out or any of that. He's just present. He, he, these are all facts. You know, he's just presenting some facts. He's not trying to editorialize. So if you're looking for that, there's plenty of other books on the history of image comics you can go and read. But if you just want a cool uh, visual look at the official image comics timeline, I definitely recommend picking it up. Uh, okay. Let's give a rundown on some of the other books that are coming out today that you might want to be on the lookout for, uh, starting with Aftershock. Now, I, t- I talked about this last time. I'll mention it again. Like right now, based on paper shortages and shipping delays, some things are being solicited and they're getting their dates are getting changed later and what have you. So I talked about Chicken Devil from Aftershock, Chicken Devil number four. I talked about it last week, but it actually is not going to be in shops until this week. So... I loved it. It was fantastic. I talked about it at length, spoiler free, last episode. So hopefully you heard that. Um, And I talked about Buccioletto, Brian Buccioletto, the writer, saying that there's more chicken devil cooking. And I couldn't be happier to hear that there's more coming down the line. Uh, Also from Aftershock, something else I read that I got a long time ago, uh, Dark Red, Where Roads Lead, number one, one shot. That's from Corin Howell and Tim Seeley. It's in that dark red rural vampire uh, 
universe that Tim Seeley has created. That was also a really, really good story. So if you're a fan of Dark Red, go check it out. If you need want to know more about Dark Red, do a search for Comic Source Dark Red, and you can hear one. Of, we, Tim Seeley's been on twice to talk about it, I think. So there's plenty of uh, info out there. There's a new number one from AWA Studios that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but definitely picked it up. It's called Primos, and it has to do with two Mayan brothers that created a spacecraft centuries ago. And yeah, that's right. It's by Al Madrigal. Carlo Barbieri is the artist. And they're basically postulating that these two Mayans way back made a spaceship, right? They come back, they find their culture destroyed, and, you know... They've got intergalactic technology and yeah. So it sounds wild and crazy and out there like a lot of the AWA stuff does. So I'm definitely checking that out Uh, from boom. Buffy the vampire slayer is up to number 34. Also basilisk, which is uh, Cullen Bunn's property over at boom is up to issue number seven from DC. Again, you can hear these on our DC spotlight yesterday. Arkham say the order of the world. Number five. Five of six, getting close to the end. Uh, Batman number 120, Dark Knights of Steel number four of 12, Detective Comics number 1051, Monkey Prince number one, Suicide Squad number 12, and World of Krypton number three. Oh, and, and Justice League Incarnate number four of five. Uh, those are all, we're all under, covered on our DC Spotlight yesterday. At Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, Ant number two is out. So is Hellcop number four. Magic Order Volume 2, number four, is also out today. There's a new book. I I know nothing about what it's about. It's called New Masters, number one of six. Uh, That's also hitting stands, as is Spawn, number 326, and Walking Dead Deluxe, number 32. Uh, And I will mention, as far as Spawn goes, we are continuing our Spawn daily, which is why I haven't been reading the newer issues of Spawn, because I will get there before the end of the year. So be sure you're checking out our Spawn daily episodes. Uh, Over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, we've got Black Panther Legends, number three. We've got Hellions, number 18. Kazar, Lord of the Savage Lad, number five of five, to finish up that miniseries. Uh, There is a Savage Spider-Man, number one, which I I tried to read, but I didn't realize it was a sequel to Nonstop Spider-Man, which I didn't read. So um, I I didn't even really try uh, to check it out. I need to go back and read nonstop Spider-Man first. Uh, Shang-Chi is up to number eight from writer Jean Luen Yang. Star Wars Crimson Rain, number two of five. Star Wars The Halcyon Legacy, number one. And Star Wars The High Republic, number 14. The Thing miniseries is up to number four of six. And then there's a couple other X books. X Excellent, number one. And X-Men Legends, number three, which reunites husband and wife team Luis and Walter Simonson. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Let's see what else from Vault Human Remains number five. And I think that's all I had. Do you have anything else to add, Jay? Yeah, I got a abstract studio. I got serial number 10. It's the final in that run with uh, Terry Moore. I've always liked his work. So I'm just kind of excited. This is the last uh, issue in that story arc. And then uh, from Behemoth Comics, I got Until My Knuckles Bleed. It's by uh, Victor Santos. He did the uh, one while ago. It's called Polar. They did a Netflix movie on it. Oh yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> I like his work. 
fantastic. Uh, okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, be sure you get out there and pick up uh, your books. As I said, Jay's book of the week was Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I I got to give my book of the week to Crossover number three or number eleven. Uh, I figured you would the last part. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't just that last page, but it was it was the nuance that. Donnie Cates brought to his own character. Which oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just cool. It, yeah, it was just it was really cool. So, but the, I mean, there's tons of good books. The Geiger, uh, the Geiger, eighty page giant was great. X Lives of Wolverine, Spider Woman is always great. Oh, yeah. Terra, you know, more nuance and and more scope in the second arc. Uh, Fantastic Four life story ended really well. I think that image timeline is a is a good resource. Like I said, so yeah, tons of good books this week. Get out there and read some comics, everybody. So thanks for joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.